Welcome. Wow, man, standing, uh, looking forward, you can't always tell how many are in each one of our services, but sitting up when you're in the front, you can see it. Great to have you all here this weekend. Uh, we're glad that you're joining us for Easter. I want to welcome all of our campuses, uh, as it was said, Lone Tree, Highlands Ranch, Castle Rock, Lakewood, online campus, and then those that are visiting this weekend, we don't care if you're a believer, if you're a seeker, if you're a skeptic, however you got here, we're thankful that you're here this weekend, and we think that God will have something for you before it's all said and done. We're doing a series called The Most Interesting Man in the World. When you see the logo and you, uh, you look at that sentence, maybe you're visiting and you're like, where have I seen that before? And I will just confess to you, it's from a beer commercial on TV. Um, we, we felt like, gosh, they came up with a slogan, The Most Interesting Man in the World. And if you've seen the commercial, it's for Dos Equis, And they have that same character. He's kind of a, kind of a you know, older guy, um, uh, does incredible feats. And then at the end of it, he always makes the same statement. I don't always drink beer, but when I do, I, I drink Dos Equis, stay thirsty, my friend. And we got looking at that and thought, you know, really, Jesus is the most interesting man, whoever was, uh, is, and will be. What if we took that and just turned it around a little bit to make him the most? So here's what we did in the series for the past couple of weeks. We took that same statement that they use, uh, like the guy goes, I don't always drink beer, but when I do, I drink Dos Equis. We took Jesus's life and we said, what could Jesus say about those things? So like for the very first week, uh, one of the pastors said, Jesus could have said, I don't always drink wine, but when I do, I make my own. I thought that was pretty original, <laughs> pretty creative. So it just sort of turned into this thing where we started trying to one-up each other based solely on what's in the Bible, not our own interpretation, but just the things that Jesus did in the Bible. And we've come up with some pretty good ones, but for this weekend, uh, I think I saved uh, two, at least in my mind, they were, they were two of my favorites. This one comes from one of our youth pastors who wrote and said, uh, Jesus talking, I don't always take the blame, but when I did, it was for all mankind. I love that one right there. Thought that was pretty good. Uh, and then this one, uh, I don't always raise the dead. Oh, wait a minute, that's not true. I ruined every funeral I ever attended. I love that one right there too. And if you like that one, I wrote that one right there. So that was my, that was my favorite. I, I don't know how it made the cut, but it did somehow. So um, here, here's where we'll go with it uh, this weekend. So we talked about in the last couple weeks why we think Jesus is the most interesting person who ever was. And we looked at history and uh, not only teaching about history, but um, here's what we taught. Who's more interesting? People who teach about it or people who actually do it? And, and we said, since Jesus is the creator of it, we kind of pointed out that we think he's the most interesting because of that. And then last week we looked at this idea. He's the most interesting man uh, in the world today because he's alive and he's active and he's doing things today. And we, we talked about that. Of course, if you want to hear any of these things on our website, jfc.org, you can always go back there. Everything that we teach is, is right there and it's free. Uh, this weekend, though, here's where we're going to go with this. Uh, we're going to talk about why we think Jesus is the most interesting man in the world who will be. We, we believe, and I'm, I'm going to try to show you today, and I only have a few minutes to do it, but all of history is going to kind of consummate around who Christ is. And there's a lot in the world today that talks about uh, what the world will be like before Jesus comes back. And if you want to know what it's going to look like, look around a little bit, because we live, the Bible predicts some pretty rough times before Christ returns. And it seems like everybody focuses on the rough times. But the Bible actually talks about what the world will look like once Christ is back and in place, what we can expect and what we can look forward to. And as I started writing my Easter message, you know, every time um, this, this statement came to me, and I, I have it in your notes right here, everything we believe as Christians hinges on the resurrection, right? Yes. Everything we believe as Christians hinges on the res resurrection. But look at the second part of this sentence. Everything we hope for hinges upon the return of Jesus. Yes. Now, so there is, without a resurrection, there is no return. 
And we wouldn't even be talking about a return if he wasn't alive. So then we, we begin to look at what could the world look like once Christ returns. And so let me, I, I'm going to twist the Easter message, not, not out of context of the resurrection, but because of the resurrection. What can we look forward to when Jesus does everything he said he's going to do? And I think you'll find this pretty interesting. But let me show you the scripture right off the bat. Uh, this is Matthew 24. It's the most clear and, and concise teaching we have in the Bible. Uh, Jesus himself is teaching this, and he's teaching what the world's going to look like before he comes back and what's going to happen after he comes back. But he makes this statement. He says, therefore, keep watch. Keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come or your Lord will return. So he tells us, here, here's the idea, keep watch, or in other words, be aware. You agree that it says that right there? Like, be aware. And, and so when we get the idea of like being aware, uh, uh, what, what anticipating, looking forward to, what, what are we supposed to be looking forward to? Why, why, what do we anticipate? Not just him coming, but what's it going to look like? So let me just quickly, I want to give you three things you can anticipate when Christ returns. And these are only because he's resurrected and alive. Let me give you the first one. Uh, when he returns, here's what you can look forward to, what you can anticipate. How about this statement right here? A government that works for all, not the one we have now. Now, I don't care if you are a Republican or a Democrat or a Green or well, however you align yourself, admit this to me, that in the world today, here's what we say. Of all the governments around, we have what we think is the best that works, and yet take that sentence, apply it to the rest of the world. How good does our government actually work when it comes down to actually getting stuff done? Agreed? Do you, do you pretty much feel like they're in it for themselves for the most part or for their own Whatever they want out of it, their own constituent, you agree with that statement? It doesn't work for everybody. And, and here, here, I want to show you an idea that when Jesus comes back, uh, one of the things the Bible teaches is that the government will actually be founded upon his shoulders. He'll be the one who administrates it. Right now in our government, we've got the, the, the judicial, the legislative, and the executive, three branches of government that are supposed to, to work together and are supposed to balance the system out, correct? How well does that work? Not in our world today, not well. Do you agree with that statement? All right, so when Jesus returns, he sits on the throne. The Bible says there won't be three, but there'll be one. Yeah. And he'll administrate all. And one of the things the Bible tells us, here, here's, here's a scripture. This is a prophetic scripture from the book of Isaiah. Now, the Bible's full of prophecy about Jesus. Some were given before he was ever born. Who, and it actually told us what he would look like and, and, and where he would appear. And I, I mean, it's amazing when you look at the prophecy. But some of the prophecy talks about not his first coming, but his return. And this is what happens to deal with what the earth will look like and the government in particular when Jesus returns and the government rests upon his shoulders. Look at this. He will judge between the nations. He will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Now let me just stop here. This is not uh, any way, shape, or form an indictment towards the military at all. The military is a noble way to spend your life in this world. But in the world that will come, it won't, listen, we, the only way that we, we understand the world around us, that we understand nature and creation, ourselves, even God, we understand it through a fallen world. You realize that, right? We don't know a world without war, right? We've, we've never experienced that. 
But at some point, the Bible even makes a specific uh, acknowledgement that there'll be no more war, no need for it. So I, I just, got, I took this scripture this week, and as I looked at it, I thought, all right, let me, let me just, let, since the Bible points out the idea that there'll be no, no more preparation, no more training, no more, no more need for war, what, what would change? So let me, let me just throw these facts out to you. Here's how much the world spends on the military in one year. Not the United States, the world. Okay? They spend $1.7 trillion per year. Now, most of us, we are so number, we, we hear about deficits and we hear about, and we, we don't even know. So what is one point? It's 1.7 with 12 zeros. But even that, how, how do you, so here's how much we spend in one year, and I'll just try to break it down. If you spent $1 every second around the clock, it would take you 31,688 years to spend one year of the equivalent of what we spend on the military. But even that's a big, so let me break it down a little further. If you spent a million dollars a day, it would take you 2,737 years to spend one year of what we spend on the military. So let me put it in equivalent. If you started spending a million dollars a day since the time Jesus was born on the earth, you'd still have 700 years to go before you spent the equivalent of one year of what we spent on the military in the world in one day. Think about that. Now, now let, me, let, me, let me go one, one step a little further. If you wanted to spend that amount in your lifetime, you would have to spend $20 billion a day for 50 years. How many of you would like to try? You realize you couldn't spend that much money in a day, let alone every day of your life for 50 years. There's not an equivalent we can even think of. All right, so I, I begin, this, this number starts, it blows your mind if you really get into it. So here's what I thought. So what could we spend that? So Jesus comes back. There, he's able to, look, it doesn't say that, that he'll just tell people make nice. Here's what he does. He judges between the nations. He settles the disputes. And then because of what he, because of his wisdom, his knowledge, his ability, who he is, he makes equity for all people. It works for everybody. And because of that, there's no need then to go to war. So here's what I thought. If we could take that money, what could we put it? What about if we could feed every hungry person? But here's the problem. We only know a world based on the fall. There'll be no hungry people when Jesus comes back. So we could apply it then to sick people. But the problem is when he comes back, he eradicates sickness. It would be the equivalent of, uh, uh, here would be the headline when Jesus comes back. Children's Hospital announced today, since the return of Christ, disease has been eradicated. Therefore, we dedicate our building Amen. as a monument to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords as a place for all nations to come and worship Jesus since there is no disease anymore. How many of you would be excited about that? Yeah. There's a world. I, I, <laughs> the corporate world reported today that no CEO stole any money. <laughs> Nothing was misappropriated. And in fact, CNN is going out of business other than the religion reporter who will report on an ongoing basis how awesome our God is. Think about that. A world we've never known, we've never experienced. And Jesus himself says, look forward. Be aware, be awake. Look forward to my return. And so much of what's taught is a world that's going to be in trouble. But that, that only leads up to his return. What will it be like 
when he returns. Look, if you really think that the resurrection is important, believer, if you really think that for a moment, then you shouldn't live in the paradigm of the cross only. Jesus is not the suffering servant who went to the cross. He's the risen king after the cross. He's not the one who simply laid his life down. He's the one that the Father resurrected, and everything we believe now points to what the world is and will be like because of the resurrection. If you really believe that, then actively what we do in this age right here, our job is to prepare people and to tell them of the great mercy of the Father and what he offers to all of mankind. Huh. Let, me, let, me, let me move on for time's sake. So, so there'll be what to anticipate, a government that works for all people. Uh, real peace will be possible. How about this? An earth like we've never known in humanity. An earth like we've never known in humanity. Now this, this comes from the book of Revelation, which is the last book of the Bible. It also is a prophetic book that deals with what things will be like before Jesus comes back and then after he comes back. And, and this happens to be one that talks about um, what, what that day is going to look like when, when Christ returns, when, when God dwells among his people. So it begins emphatically, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. You know, he was called at Christmas, we call him Emmanuel because Emmanuel means God with us. He's not a God who lives up there. He's a God right here, right now. But at some point, physically, he's here with us. He will be here. He will set up his kingdom here. So look, God's dwelling place is now amongst the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. And then look what it begins to point out. Here's what he's going to do. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. And look at this sentence. For the old order of things has passed away. What's the old order of things? So God creates a world that is, is it, 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 it's sort of like, uh, it, it's sealed. It, it's perfect and, it's, and it's, there's no disease in it. There's no rot, there's no decay, there's no death in it. He creates a, a perfect world and only something from outside can bring it in and God himself doesn't introduce it but he gives authority to man and man allows the very enemy of the world, the liar, to introduce decay to our world because of our decision. And it begins a process of death and decay and we all, we all feel it and we all pay for it. But here, here's what the Bible tells us that God's, his last enemy that he will conquer is the enemy called death. And I want you to think about this. We don't know a world that's never not experienced death. Do you agree with that? So my own experience, um, my, my dad, so my, I saw my brother, or I didn't get a chance to talk to him. He, he, was, uh, he was hanging out over there, um, his, going back to see his son, and I didn't get a chance to talk to him. But I thought, I, I, my brother and I, uh, our, our dad um, was killed in a car accident. So I was 11 and Steve was 10. 11 and 10. I, I, the, the situation, a drunk driver killed my dad. A 19-year-old girl. And, and uh, I, we, were, we were little boys and I remember we were in our room and a priest and my uncle came to tell us. And I remember we had bunk beds and they both had to sit on the bottom bunk and my uncle tried to get the words out of his mouth and he couldn't do it. And the priest had to take over and the priest was just kind of matter of fact about it. Here's what happened and here's the way that it went down. 
And, and it was, <laughs> even at 11, the sense of frustration at death and loss, it just sears us, doesn't it? You know, there are some tears that you can wipe on the outside, but they stay with you your whole life on the inside, don't they? And here God himself tells us that when I come to make it right, I'll wipe away every tear and there'll be no more mourning, there'll be no more hurting, there'll be no more death. What will that world be like? Can you even, can you even get your brain to imagine that world right there. And here the Bible, the whole reason it tells us this is because we're supposed to be looking forward, not as people who just go, well, then whatever happens. Here, we're supposed to be actively working. The very prayer that God teaches us is, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in We're supposed to actively work right now to do everything we can to help bring the kingdom of God to earth, knowing though ultimately it'll never get done completely until Jesus comes back. It's the very message that God has. When the church is at its best, it tells that story and it rescues people with that in mind, yes or no? Yep. Every disaster, you want to know what I love about the church? Every disaster on the planet, who do you think the very first responders are? It's always the church. That's not reported, but it's always the church, first responders. And last out, it's the church working in Haiti right now. It's the church working in Africa right now. It's the church on the scene at a college where yesterday 150 some odd believers were sacrificed. It's the church that now works with them. When the church is at its best, yes or no, it represents the world that God has coming, doesn't it? Huh? You know, the Bible even says, I have a, I have a minute here. I, was, I didn't know if I would bring this up, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm able to get this. I, I, it even says that nature, we don't even know what nature can be like because of the fallen world. The Bible says that all of creation groans or desires to be released from the curse that it's under because of the fall of man. And, and I've got proof that nature is under a curse. I've got a little ugly, nasty dog at home. <laughs> a horrible little dog. His name is Ziggy. Ziggy. Ziggy... Um, how do I explain about Ziggy? Ziggy has problems. Is that a good way to say it? He has problems. Problems with me in particular, and I have problems with him. We're both fallen. That's the... And so Ziggy... You know, Ziggy... The Bible says that at some point the lion will lay with the lamb. It even mentions that the animals won't even kill each other. They'll eat the grass of the earth. We live in the old order of things, right? We can't even imagine. So our imagination is going, how could that even be? We don't even know how he created. It says that the child will play by the den of the cobra and the parent will have no fear. Imagine a world where nature hasn't worked against man and man against nature. So we got this little dog and every time we leave the house, it freaks out, man. Separation anxiety is what they call it. Separation anxiety for a dog. It actually takes medication for this. Yep, medication. And so, and, and especially when Chris leaves. I do the same thing. I whine and I cry. And, so the dog and I kind of commiserate together. But whenever, if we leave, the dog just, man, he runs to the garage, he runs to the front window, he runs to the garage, and he just, it just cries and he yelps and he, and he chews on the, the, the blinds. I mean, it's just, it's terrible. 
And so one morning, Chris got up. She left early, and the dog didn't know I was home. And so I started spying on it <laughs> to see what it would do exactly. And it, so it just it runs to the door, and it runs. It just, and it just, I mean, time doesn't stop. The do, it just keeps running back and forth and howling and barking and yelling. All right, so I had left a glass of water. I have a cup, my favorite cup. And I, I left it on the table from the night before. And I forgot to put it in the sink. And so I'm spying on the little, and I notice the little dog gets up there and it starts drinking out of my cup. <laughs> Doesn't spill it, can drink out of it perfectly. <laughs> Do you know how many times I've come home and drank out of that cup? <laughs> and you laugh about this. That dog does it on purpose. And I think he sits there and looks at me like, mm-hmm. Talk about me, I'll drink out of your cup. And that's, we have this relationship that's just ugly. And I joke, but at some point, all of, all of nature has been enslaved because of the decision of man. And it'll be released from it too. And we can't even imagine what that'll look like. But can you imagine everything working in cooperation perfectly with each other? And, and you may think, well, come on, pastor. That's what I believe because that's what it says in the Bible and that's what I look forward to when Jesus returns. So what do you look forward to? A party change in a couple of years? Do you really think that's going to make everything in the world okay? Because it hasn't so far. When the government rests upon his shoulders. When he wipes away every tear. When he releases us from the place of captivity. So let me give you the last one that I, I just, I love this one. I, um, I, don't, don't trip on the title. A true United Nations. A true United Nations. So look at this scripture right here again, a, a prophetic scripture, um, Revelation. And it begins again with the emphatic, look, he is coming with the clouds. And, and this part, every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, all the peoples on the earth, they'll mourn for him and mourn because of him. And let me, just, let me just say this real quick. When it says they will mourn, it's not the idea that they'll look and they'll be sad that they see him. They'll repent. Here's the one sure thing. Regardless of what's believed on the earth today, if Christ were to return and everyone saw it, no matter what you believe, you'd have to go, that was true and what I believe is wrong. Yes or no? And so let's reverse that. If Mohammed comes back, yeah, I, I hear you, but we would be forced to go, well, that must have been true. Yes? So I'll say it that way too. But if Jesus does come back, here's what will make this scripture work. This is how a United Nations happens. If what he said is true, if he does return, and if everyone sees it, there would be no way to say anything else, but that's it. The Bible says on one day, all nations of the earth, this means to repent. They will repent because of him, and so shall it be, amen. And then just as Jesus, I am the alpha and the omega, the A to the Z. I'm the one who is, who was, and who is to come. I'm the almighty. That's why we name this the idea of the most interesting man in the world, the most interesting man who was, is, and will be. But I use the idea of United Nations in this thought. He will unite the nations and no one else will do what he is able to do. The Bible says that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. The very first trip I ever made to the Middle East in Israel, 1994, 
And uh, I'm up in the middle of the night. It's a nine-hour time difference. Turn on the TV. Much of what you had at the time was in Hebrew. So I'm flipping through the channels. CNN is on in the middle of the night. So I'm going to be watching it. There's a commercial. And one of the CNN Middle East correspondents is walking through the old city of Jerusalem, walking on the Temple Mount, and he stops, and this is what he says. And he doesn't have a clue what he says, but he just goes like this. Um, if a prophet were to return... No, I'm sorry. If a prophet were to arise or a Messiah were to return, CNN will be here to cover it live, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. And I thought the guy, of course, he's just advertising for his news work. But here the Bible says, every eye will see, every ear will hear, everybody will know. And now, now, now possibly, the Bible says, look, he's coming. Maybe there'll be some sign in the heaven that shows it. But here's another way. The day we live in today, here's the Bible, 2,000 years ago, predicting that everyone will be able to see it one time, and then CNN does his bidding, and they don't even know it. What an interesting thought. The corrupt news network doing the work of God. Huh. <laughs> Could you imagine what that day will look like, what that time will be? And, and if you sit and you think, I can't wait for that to get here, do you realize that we're to actively work today to let people know that God's will is not to just sit back and let whatever happens happen, but that we're supposed to help bring the kingdom of God to earth now. God, do you know by even looking forward to his return and what it can look like, that's a way to help people understand this is not how it was supposed to be. This is not how God created. Why does God get the blame for all the stuff in the world today? Why don't we say back, this is not how God intended it. This is not how God wants it. This is not how God will leave it. But it will change dramatically. Wow, what, what a thing to look forward to in space and time at some point in history. That's it. Where are we at that point? I don't know exactly. Other than to say, if you take Jesus' teaching in Matthew 24, some of the things we experience today tell us we're close to when that could happen. To be watchful, to be aware, to be looking forward to it. Let me finish with this thought right here. If it's true that Jesus was resurrected, and if it's true that he's going to come back again, then I need to also tell you this truth. It's the last scripture I'll use. This again is from Revelation. It's actually the last chapter in the last book, almost to the very end. And it's written in the first person, Christ speaking. And again, the emphatic, look, I am coming soon. So three times in the book of Revelation, it tells us, look, watch, be aware, be looking forward to, Think about what's going to... Look, if you think what I'm teaching right now, this does disservice to Easter, this may be the best Easter message you ever heard. Because I'm not only am I already assuming that he is resurrected, I'm telling you because of the resurrection, here's what's going to happen. Amen. So again, here, here's how he finishes this, this thought. Look, I am coming soon, and my reward is with me. And I will give to each person according to what they have done. And here he says it one more time. I'm the alpha and the omega. I'm the first and the last. I'm the beginning and I'm the end. If it's true that he's resurrected, if it's true that he's coming again, then it's also true that when he comes, 
The Bible says he'll judge. And he's the only one capable of doing so. And his reward is in his hand. His reward is in his hand. And judgment is in his mouth. Which one do you want to receive when Christ comes back? It's a simple thing. I want on the reward. So how does that happen? To those who believe, those who trust in him, those who give themselves to him, those are the ones that get rewarded. If everything else I said is true, this also is true. Don't put me off right now. He's the judge and the rewarder. And he gives to everyone according to what they have done. So where are you at on that issue? So you go, pastor seems like sort of a setup. No doubt. No doubt. It's exactly what it is. It's a chance to tell you truth right now. So God very much loves you. God very much has a plan for you. But God very much gives you the opportunity to make a decision. What do you want to decide? What do you believe? Belief starts at the place of going yes or no to something. What do you believe? So Father, it's at that point where I feel like anything that we teach sort of just becomes beyond the point. It's really superfluous to just keep trying to teach about. At some level, when we believe, we believe because the Holy Spirit speaks to our heart. We believe because you touch something on the inside of us. You open us up to something. You cause us to become aware of something suddenly. And so as many people over this weekend will hear a message and be given an opportunity to believe... I want to bring it down right now to each campus, to each service, to each individual right now. Not as a whole, but as an individual right now. What's God saying to you? So if you sit here and I ask you, do you want to believe? You want to put your trust in Him? You know, it's in the heart of every human. Listen to this. Regardless of belief, it's in the heart of every human to want the world that God created and the one that he'll restore. It's in the heart of every human. The Bible says God puts eternity in the heart of every person. That's what that means. We long for the world he created and the one that he'll restore. It's the proof, it's like a fingerprint of God inside of us. And so I just take a moment right now to ask you about that fingerprint. Do you feel God touch you? Do you feel God call you? Do you feel God speak to you about this issue? So regardless of which service you find yourself in, and maybe even not in a service, maybe you happen to be streaming this, or maybe you're listening to it after the fact. But I want to speak personally right now to you. you've never put your trust in Christ if you've never said God be merciful to me if you've never said God I believe and I need you this may not 
be the opportunity to answer every question you have, but belief doesn't start when every question is answered. It starts when we decide, I'm going to start from that place and then work forward. What do you want to believe right now? Do you need God's grace? Do you need his mercy? Do you need his love? Do you want his life? And do you want his reward? If that's you and you say, Pastor, I've not made that decision before, but I want that, and I'd like you to remember me when you pray, listen to me. I'm going to ask you to respond, but I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to go make you do anything. I'm not going to manipulate you. I'm just going to pray for you. So if you say, Pastor, I need that relationship with God. I want to trust him right now. I want the reward that he comes with. I need God's grace and his mercy, and I'd like you to remember me when you pray. Just slip your hand up right now. It's wherever you are. Just pray for me. You bet. You bet. Listen, right now, at all of our campuses, each one of our campus pastors stands and is watching. So as you respond to this, they literally will be here to pray for you. So for each one of you that responds and says, yes, what do you do? How do you, how do you make that? I mean, is it saying yes to me? Not at all. It's saying yes to him. So what would you pray? It's not like a set prayer. You just simply do this. From your heart, ask God for his mercy. From your heart, say something like this. Father, be merciful to me, a sinner. Father, forgive me. Father, help me. Father, include me. It's just the very point of belief initially. So what do you want to believe? Everybody believes something. So Father, for those who say yes to you right now, Lord, I commit that into your hands. God, I believe it's the beginning, really, of a life restored, one that will live then, but we can begin to enjoy right here and right now. So I thank you for speaking. I thank you for the Holy Spirit. I thank you for your life. And I pray that in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Hey, listen, next week we have a great series that's going to be starting. Watch this real quick. Said I need